All right, wrong word completely. But that's, you know, something that we should, you know, talk about a bit. This crying in the morning thing, this depression, you know, let's get that fixed. That's what men think, isn't it? What? Unless you've got the answer, unless you can say, oh, I know this bloke in the Essex Road who could fix that, then there's no point bothering. No. Well, yeah, okay, I, I would. I'd love to know the name of the bloke in the Essex Road because I've got a feeling I, I, I'd be useless, but... Oh, well, you're not useless. You... Well, you, you're here. Welcome to part two of our About a Boy episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. The patron takeover is in full swing, but there's also stuff happening in the patron feed. Uh, so this is this is your reminder. You're on the ground floor on the Travolti's tier. You get all the cutting room floor stuff, anything that they're making to the episodes that are in the main feed. For example, here, all the singing that Alex and I did during the recording. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's, there's a, at least so far there hasn't been any singing uh, that was recorded. That is, you also get the bonus episode every month. At least one. We have over thirty, I think, by now, Alex, of those because we've been doing this for a while. This month, the bonus episode is for the movie Thunder Road, picked by the same guy that picked about a boy for the main feed, Jamie Russell. I'm learning here that there is, it is named after the Springsteen song. It looks like. Uh... Awkwardly so. Oh, should I listen to the song before watching the movie? Have you? Fuck off. You've never heard Thunder Road. <laughs> Maybe I haven't. I just don't know that it's Thunder Road. Sing it for me, Alex. This is. Close your eyes and sing it. Screen door slams. Mary's dress waves. As a vision, she dances upon the pavement as the radio plays. <laughs> Across the porch, not on the pavement. I'm conflating Springsteen lyrics here. Yeah. I'm waiting for Hugh Grant to come behind the scenes with his guitar just to, to join you to polish this uh, anyway thunder road bonus episode right there on the patreon feed ground floor a dollar gets you access to that and all the other bonus episodes um now you go up a tier to the winonis and onward uh you also get our pre-recording notes uh you get our qvrs this uh month picked by jordan alex you're getting the the horror movie Skinamarink. Mm-hmm. Skinamarink. And I get the, I think it's found footage, dash cam. It's dash cam footage. Both uh, movies that we haven't seen. So you get to see our quick video reviews, our, our, our video reactions to that. Also, a proper uh, time to shout out friend of the show, friend, friend of ours, former guest from a long time ago, Corey Ari. Uh, we mentioned him in the previous episode, but yeah, he's he's been uh, helping us out with video editing, and uh, you can tell <laughs> because he, you know, Corey has his own YouTube channel, so he does this kind of like uh, uh, on his sleep at this point, and uh, he, he's been adding a little bit of pizzazz to uh, our QVRs and our uh, contrarian warm ups. So uh, thank you, Corey. Yeah, big time. Yeah, if you want to check out his his YouTube channel, I, I put the link on the on the show notes. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the, the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? 
Uh, by the time you will be listening to this, I will have attended and worked my first uh, movie convention, the cult classic convention in Bastrop, Texas. Uh, I have a lot of shit I'm trying to get rid of. So I rented some space for a booth. I'm going to be selling wrestling DVDs, fight posters, movie memorabilia, some uh, original theatrical posters. And, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if I make any money, if I sell anything. I'm just kind of looking for I've gone several years in the past, but this year will be my first time operating a, a booth. So my portion of After Hours will be... Uh, my report from the Colt Classic Convention. James Remar is going to be there, and I am going to have to get a Mark picture with him. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's a nice dude, and uh, fairly confident I'm going to be the only person at this thing that's going to want to talk to him about his role as Richard on Sex in the City. <laughs> that's how you stand out. Yeah, unless he tells you I fucking hated that show. <laughs> Kim Cattrall was a bitch. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, on my end, Alex, uh, my my Hitchcock journey continues. I watched Frenzy. Have you heard of Frenzy? Yes. Have you seen it? Um, I don't believe so. Yeah, it's it's on the cock. Uh, nice. Hour fifty, I think. And I, I have thoughts. It's no, it's no psycho. It's not strangers on a train. Uh, but it's very much Frenzy. So uh, it's it's a good conversation piece. I'll tell you about that. And then uh, on HBO Max, The Big Sleep, a Humphrey Bogart movie that has relevance to something that's coming up on The Contrarians because one of our uh, uh, patron picks, I think it's next month, we're going to be doing The, the Long Goodbye uh-huh. with uh, aforementioned Elliot Gould. And uh, so he plays a private detective in that one. And that character is also the character that Humphrey Bogart plays in The Big Sleep. So I figured, for the sake of context, I would watch The Big Sleep uh, just so I can make all sorts of jokes comparing Elliot Gould to uh, (laughs) Humphrey Bogart uh, when we finally record that episode. So I'm going to tell you about Frenzy. I'm going to tell you about The Big Sleep. You're going to tell me about uh, your time at this horror convention. That sounds like a fantastic after hours. That and everything else that we told you about, any of that sounds interesting, Check out patreon.com slash contrarian prime and look at our tiers. See if you'd like to join the contrarian supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers like Julio stressed. It's just a buck. Plorp it down. Take a look around. See what there is there that you like. Let us know if there's something you think we're spending too much time on or if there's something you want more of. We will do our best to uh, meet your demands because you are the ones that are handing over your hard-earned money. And once you're there, you're going to give a dollar and you're going to realize you're going to want more, more, more. And so it'll be $3, $5, and then $10. Um, the cryptic, the teasing statements are coming towards an end as it regards our upcoming patron project. So I think this one and maybe the next one will be the last time you'll hear. And there's something coming up for our patrons. <laughs> It has nothing to do with The Rock or John Cena. No. We can say that. Yeah. I think I can comfortably say for you, our patrons, this project's kind of going to come out of left field, but we're really looking forward to it. So uh, that's on the horizon. All the shit dating back to our our original patron episode in which we deep dove blue is the warmest color. It's all there. So check it out. And uh, to all of our current patrons, God bless y'all. We love you. And as I like to say, we are always taking applications we review them 
but really it's like you know it's a foregone conclusion we're gonna we're gonna accept them yeah we're like a, that uh support group for single parents and about a boy we'll just take anyone is it splat sap splat splat no spat spat single parents something together yeah uh cool <laughs> like like everything else in this movie, I couldn't really remember it. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's talk about this. Let's let's go and get real about about a boy. Well, you know, he's a very good little boy, very um, very brave. They've got amazing resources, don't they? Just the other day, I was thinking about my ex, and he came crawling up and put his little pudgy arms around my neck, and he said, "You hang in there, Dad." That's a, a amazing for a two-year-old. Is it? Yeah. 93%, man. The fuck? From the directors of American Pie. What's American Pie uh, tomato meter score, Alex? Let's see. American Pie pales in comparison to the certified fresh 93% of About a Boy. 61%. I mean... Uh, having sex with pie is divisive. In a strange turn of events, it mirrors its audience score, which is also 61%. <laughs> In a just world, American Pie would have a 69%, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Get oh, to it. Bullshit. Critics. American Pie 2 is rotten. American Pie 2 rules. So you say. Well, that and Road Trip are like my go-to raunchy comedies. That and uh, Kingpin are like, yeah, those are my three top tier sex comedies or whatever you want to call them. Uh, not a sex comedy, or I guess it could be in some aspects, is about a boy, which going back, uh, as I stated in the first half, was released in the United States on May 17th of 2002. Universal Pictures released it with a budget of $30 million, a box office return of $130 million, based off About a Boy by Nick Hornby. Paul and Chris White's directed, written by... The Whiteses, and along with Peter Hedges, who also penned such films as Dan in Real Life, which I am a fan of, and The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which <laughs> was a very strange film. Who's the guy in that one? I know it's Jennifer Garner. It's a, She's the mom. Um, Brendan Conlon. Uh, Joel Edgerton. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mr. C will show no mercy. <laughs> Uh, he'll show as little mercy to uh, his opponents as you do to one Hugh Grant. Alex, I don't think I knew how much you dislike Hugh Grant until I heard your tone during Contrarian's Quarter. I a lot of it is uh, turned up, you know, amplified <laughs> for the fun of it. But like, he really was just like a good looking guy who was in the right place at the right time, which is, you know, a, a lot of people made successful movie careers in the 90s from that and the the 2000s. You uh, say, are you comparing Hugh Grant to Taylor Lautner? No, Hugh Grant's a better actor than <laughs> Taylor Lautner. And I, I'm sorry, pretty people have been making money in film since the beginning of film, but there was like a path to being, you know, you're the the cute and affable british guy and the, the these american rom-coms and that's kind of what he fell into and uh it's not to say i haven't seen him be good or anything he was excellent in that uh what was that guy Ritchie movie from a few years ago with him and uh uh the gentleman yes yeah he was tremendous in that it's just the uh, 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 
I, 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 like the stuttering and like the caricature that he became. It's not like, um, who's a male, you know, Clooney or something like that. The rom-coms and ER and shit he would do where it's so obvious, like, Oh, he's just the pretty guy. And in a real life scenario, he would never act like this. And, but I say Clooney's great. So I'd buy into it. But like with Hugh Grant, it just kind of never worked for me. It's not to say this movie is a total shit show or I think it sucks or anything like that. It's, um, it's also kind of what we talked about off the air. I remember as a little kid, his whole thing happening, uh, his controversy when he was married to Elizabeth Hurley. And even at like 10, I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the problem. That's where you lost respect for every aspect of uh, his career. I saw uh, nine months at too young of an age. I was just like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> I think my first uh, Hugh Grant exposure was uh, Four Waves and a Funeral. And that is... Yeah, you I know, think that's a lot of people, yeah. That is Hugh Grant uh, as Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what, what he would be for the next, I don't know, decade? That's how he made he made money. He became the 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 actor that he is now. Um, before we delve into more Hugh Grant uh, conversation and then and his co-stars here, um, we got a few rotten quotes. And I also have uh, a little note from Jamie about this movie. So we got rotten quotes starting with uh, David Sterrett from Christian Science Monitor, who says, Was this spiritless stuff really directed by Paul and Chris Weitz of American Pie fame? How the rebels have mellowed. (laughs) Uh, I would argue it's impressive when people can make movies that are tonally different, but what do I know? So this dude, deeply disappointed that Hugh Grant didn't molest some pastry. I mean, the opportunity was right there. They they should have at least had like a shot of him looking at like you know uh, a pie or a scone coming out of the oven, and being like, hmm? like you know, he just kind of that. Should, no, the ending of the movie should have been uh, the Christmas dinner. Rachel Weiss brings uh, an apple pie out and puts it on the table, and Hugh Grant looks at the camera and like nods his head, like, hmm. There you go. Um. Jessica Winter from The Village Voice says, Since the central odd couple have no report, their bond never seems to progress past mutual usury. Um, I'm assuming that she's talking about Grant and Holt. Uh, did you buy them as as buddies? Yeah, they, they had good chemistry. I mean, for as much as they could. A grown man can have with a, what, 12-year-old? How old is this kid? Yeah, he's 12. I mean, it's not like uh, I, I can't, I'm blanking on the little boy's name in Sling Blade, but like, oh, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, Lucas Black. Yes, thank you, and Billy Bob. And that, um, if you're gonna ask me, I'll tell you there's been way superior examples, but this isn't bad. Uh, he <laughs> Nicholas Holt actually calls out Haley Joel Osment in this movie. Yes, he does. That's another one we've done. The chemistry between those two is phenomenal. Yeah, it's fine. Well, not not if you're Jessica Winter, apparently. <laughs> Didn't buy it. Um, Mark Stein from The Spectator says, In print, Hornby's story was lapped up by women. On screen, it looks like the worst kind of unconvincing, unfelt schmaltz and faintly misogynistic in the subordination of its female characters to the needs of its male star. Come back, Richard Curtis. 
<laughs> I don't know, man. I've I've heard even stronger accusations of misogyny towards Richard Curtis. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I I don't feel. I mean, we joked about it in Contreras Corner. But I don't feel that this movie sells out its female characters uh, for the sake of Hugh Grant. I mean, I think that you know, there's uh, rom com tropes that you know it's like, oh, do they really? How how can they buy his bullshit? But at the same time, um, you you can also turn it on him and be like, how can he be so stupid sometimes? It's yeah. just part of the genre you know yeah that's accurate it's all in good fun man um i'm gonna close before we move on to jamie's note uh we're gonna close with jeremy heilman from moviemartyr.com who says you can't help but shake the feeling that you were having more fun with the old sarcastic lying will do you have more fun with uh hugh grant before he uh grew a heart no i because that's you've seen this movie a million times it's you know you know exactly what's going to happen he's going to learn from this kid and he's going to grow up and uh it's um it's not the type of movie you would see today just because some of the things we call out in the first half of like the way this movie treats itself as a movie there's a lot of real life you know issues in it that people would more than likely take umbrage with the uh, levity in which they're treated in this movie. But yeah, I knew it was going to happen and I was along for the ride and I had fun. I didn't feel invested enough in any of the characters to think like the movie betrayed them or changed them at any point. I did think it was legitimately funny. how Like he's the, the fucking scum of the earth. Cause he, he wants to be a bachelor and not have kids. <laughs> what about you? Will any desire for a family of your own yet? I'd rather eat one of Barney's dirty nappies. Yeah, not really. I'm sort of all right as I am. I think. Let's finish with Jamie. Actually, let's let's see what he thinks. And Alex, what he thinks is that he's not sure. He says, uh, "Hi, I need to rewatch it as it has been so long. I remember reading the book and watching the film at the cinema and enjoying it at the time. I mainly picked it for the huge Rotten Tomato score and as a film that can easily be poked fun out of." To be honest, Hugh Grant is always not everyone's cup of tea, for example. Looking forward to what you guys have to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, Hugh Grant, I can see it. that's he is an easy target. Uh, I mean, I think we proved that. <laughs> uh, so even Jamie, I'd be curious, Jamie, let us know how this rewatch went for you. I, I can tell yeah. you that I, I remember liking it when I watched in the theaters, liking it enough that I... I know I owned it at some point. Uh, not anymore. Like I was, I was looking for a DVD. And I was like, no, I guess it was lost in some movie. Maybe I sold it. I don't know. But I remember liking it and then watching it now. I, I liked it again. It, it was. Uh, I think it's really funny. That's the main thing. I think that the, the fact that he is, you know, there's the part of the movie, and the characters that vilify Hugh Grant's character for not wanting kids. But then there's also the fact that he is kind of a shitty person. <laughs> so I think that that oh, upsets Oh, yeah, definitely. It. You know, like, yes, they're in the wrong for for being so uh, close-minded about the fact that he just doesn't want kids. He, he wants to be a bachelor. He wants to, you know, just live this life. But then at the same time, he is such an asshole and he's so self-centered. And, but I find it hilarious. I mean, I think that that's the brilliance of the of the Hugh Grant performance, that that he can be such a terrible person, but also be really funny. And when <laughs> God, this is horrible, but it's so funny. When uh, they find uh, uh, Tony Collette, she, she's trying to commit suicide. And so they call the ambulance and then he's driving and he his voiceover goes, 
uh, man, this was horrible. But also, it was pretty thrilling to be able to drive behind the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what a piece of shit. But it's it's really funny. Uh, so it's, and it is a pivot from from what you were saying before, the the original incarnation of the Hugh Grant persona, which was the, the stuttering, I just don't, you know, I have trouble expressing myself, I'm really awkward and all that. Like here he's playing the cool guy. And uh, I mean, I like his, his other persona fine, but I think that this is, uh, I find this funnier, you know, that he's just this, this guy that's, uh, that can be kind of like effortless in the way he is cool, but also, at times be very clueless about human interaction because he's used to just being on his own. So I like him a lot. I, I think that it's uh that's why I was worried. I was like, does Alex really not like Hugh Grant? Because <laughs> this is such a likable performance. I, the hardest I laughed the entire movie is like the voiceover of Nicholas Holt, where he's like, uh, I made sure mom looked good. I picked out her uh, fur, you know, <laughs> sweater or some shit like that. And then it cuts to Hugh Grant's voiceover and he's like, for some reason she appeared to be wearing a Yeti costume. I thought that was <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah, he's fine. It's just the, I don't know, my age maybe being young when these type of movies were just like to me. And he was like, you know, the poster child of a lot of them in the, the late nineties, like Notting Hill. I remember just being like, you know, when I was, young teen or uh, had no time for that and he's just not a guy that i ever was like all right here's the movie star this is going to carry what i need so uh he's also easy to joke about and make make light of just because of like you know how he typically is in movies but like i said i've seen things i really enjoy him in and also uh he seems to be a guy with a good sense of humor about himself and can take a joke about his acting and whatnot so you know good on him it's just he's never been someone that i've been drawn to i think maybe you enjoy him more in this uh latter stage of his career where he's not necessarily you know just bulking up on romantic leads then again they also don't make that many rom-coms anymore so uh but you, you know what i mean like because yeah the, the, now so he went from playing the, the stuttering shy guy to playing kind of like the cool hot guy in about a boy and then now now he's quirky you know like cloud atlas he plays all those characters and then uh yeah the gentleman and so and i think that now he's just kind of uh, he was in the glass onion right well he has a cameo in glass onion oh, okay yeah, uh, hopefully he'll come back because that'll be that'll be great. But yeah, now he's you know he, he, I really I mean from what I've heard he's the main reason to watch uh, Paddington Two. I guess. Did you, did you hear that? Like how everybody was raving about he's a bad guy in that one. He, they were oh really about how funny he is in that movie. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that as a Hugh Grant vehicle, this is this is really good, and I. I couldn't tell you if this was the first time that, you know, if this was the inflection point when he started playing this type of character and got rid of uh, some of his mannerisms from before. But uh, whatever the case, it's just, I think it's one of his most popular and it's uh, it's really strong. So I really like it. Now, perhaps more, uh, I was going to say controversially, but not, not really. I guess you've been more vocal. I have too, I guess, uh, about Nicholas Holt 
throughout the run of this podcast. <laughs> we we kind of buried him a little bit uh, in our Fury Road episode. Um, I don't think that you're when you were doing your uh, X Men recount uh, over on Patreon. I don't think that you singled him out on any of the positives. Uh, but here he is at, at, at the very beginning. This is the one that started it all. What do you think of this? What do you make of this uh, child performance? It's whatever. I you know, I try not to be mean to kids. You know, like we say, but like I don't, I don't, I don't care. Uh, he he's kind of annoying, but it's it could be anyone if they're talking in kind of that high pitched kid voice and just constantly questioning things that I would get annoyed with. Like that's just me. Like my tolerance for inquisitive children only goes so far children should ask questions and like you know explore things in life but like for me they shouldn't come to me for that because i'll answer like two questions they'll be like get away from me you have more of a problem with the character not the performance yeah i guess and so in essence my my overarching issue would be with the movie because it's just like the story of this does not really do much for me. My issues with Nicholas Holt would come way later because he's not like offensively bad in this or anything. Because he he's an example. He's good looking. That's like why he gets his roles. Uh, <laughs> I, I would. I don't really have any qualms about saying that. Hashtag hot beast. I mean, he's had a few movies where he was the lead that did all right. That Warm Bodies movie, I think, made a good mm-hmm. amount of money and. Uh, but didn't that Jack and the Beanstalk movie bomb? Wasn't that like a they lost money on that? I don't. I feel like I remember that being kind of a. It was kind of a non-starter. There was yeah. no sequel. Yeah, but uh, he's he's really good in the menu. Sure, um, <laughs> it's the truth. I do like Ray Fiennes, and I do like uh, Anya Taylor Joy. So maybe one day, but for the most part. I see him and Eddie Redmayne as the same of just they are they are following the path of Hugh Grant, but neither of them are as good as actors as Hugh Grant is in the sense of being good looking British guys. Of course, Eddie Redmayne, you know, oh, I've, I've done artsy movies, so I'm a respected. That motherfucker. That guy's an Oscar winner. <laughs> don't forget. He beat Keaton. Don't forget to write your congressperson about that. But. <laughs> And yeah, this Holt fella just kind of grew into someone that when he's on screen, he's like a he's a channel changer for me. If I'm watching something, <laughs> if I'm flipping the channels and he shows up, I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. But <laughs> but I can comfortably say he is not grading or it's not like I hated him from a young age or anything like that because he's fine in this. It's just the movie and the the character that I'm like ambivalent towards. Yeah, I'm actually more than that. I'm, I'm actually pretty positive on him. And uh, I mean, I think that the, I think it's the performance because the at first I was just like, no, it's just the way it's written. But no, because if you get a kid that's just a little bit more annoying, then the movie goes off the rails. Like I, you know me, listeners, you know me, child actors. I think I even referenced it in Concerns Corner. <laughs> the the precocious child characters. That are wise beyond their years, and they're always kind of like smart mouth, and they most of the time they just don't work for me. So you have to have a really good actor, somebody like Haley Joel Osment. We keep dropping his name here, or uh, or you know, really really strong writing, or really like strong concept. And uh, but here, I mean, it's just 
he's playing in theory on paper this character should get on my nerves as much as he gets on your nerves uh, probably even more but it it doesn't happen I, I i think a lot of it is just that he does have that chemistry with hugh grant and hugh grant is really funny so that he plays off with the kid really well and nicholas holt can play off of him i mean i should be recoiling because some of the things that he does like the singing you know the quirk that he that he sings without even noticing that's that's on the level of kirsten dunn's taking imaginary photos you know with a, <laughs> with a camera that's not there but it works i think you know why it works because uh, and maybe you disagree with me but i i think that the moment when they tie it in to tony collette's depression and it becomes a way, you know, it's, it's this thing that he has in common with his mom that makes both of them happy. And it's a way that he feels that he can do something about his mom's uh, depression. Mm-hmm. Then it suddenly is not just this kind of really cheap joke about a kid that can't sing, but instead it gives it meaning. And so little details like that, I think, that make him uh, a more compelling character than just, you know, sometimes a lot of the time. And Shane Black, I'm looking at you. I, I see some of those characters, those kids that just talk like adults, and it just feels to me like a, a you know, an adult writer just bending reality to create this this little thing that doesn't exist and doesn't come close to being anywhere near something real. You know, like kids don't talk like that. Kids don't behave like that. But with this one, it feels real enough, I think, because it's rooted in emotion, not in like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if a kid said this? Or wouldn't it be funny if a kid did this? It's like, oh, no, this is a kid that's getting bullied, and there's a kid that uh, lives with a mom that has uh, depressive episodes, and uh, and he's lonely, and somehow he still, you know, <laughs> trudges forward. So it, I think that all those things add up to making it a character that even though at first you would think I would hate him instead I I'm really invested in 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 what's happening dude you and I definitely both have movies like that that contradict the things that we've we've spent the past few years setting up as like what we look for in movies mm-hmm. so I can I completely understand that I I can respect and appreciate that you're sometimes even more harsh on the precocious kid characters than I am so um I'm not going to necessarily agree with you a lot of the shit you've been saying about the quality of this movie, but I can respect where you're coming from with it. <laughs> can I come in? No. Why? Because I'm busy. I'm, what are you doing? I'm um, watching TV. I can watch it with you if you want. I think on the on the I want I was about to move on to Tony Collette, but actually because it has to do with the what the movie's saying about you know him being a bachelor and all that stuff. I think that the. The other thing that this movie does right is that it doesn't, by the time that we get to the end, it's not so much about whether he's going to have kids or not, but it's it it finally lands on, yes, it's he's having a great life as a bachelor, but it is more rewarding, or there is, there's a very special kind of reward that you can't find anywhere else in connecting with people. And I like that message more than, oh, but don't you think you should have kids? <laughs> You know, it's not that you should have kids, it's that you should have friends, you know, and and the end, that final Christmas is not so much about the fact that he has uh, potential stepkids, you know, in mm-hmm. uh, Marcus and, and Ollie, uh, but it's more that Tony Collette's there and uh, his buddy from uh, from the when he from when he worked at the call center and uh, an Ellie is there. And, you know, these are people that that have each other's backs and I, I think that there's 
ultimately the argument of the movie is that it's it's a good thing to have people that have your back and to have other people's backs mm-hmm. so that's pretty wholesome that's <laughs> not that the movie arrives at a it's such a wholesome uh message that i have zero issues with you know if the movie was about the movie ended with him just uh, having this statement of like you're right i should have kids that would bother me that's why the end of jersey girl bothers me right because ben affleck has like this great life in the city and then the movie at the end tells you no but it's it's better if you move to a small town and you know don't make as much money but you're dating Liv tyler i'm like can he date Liv tyler in the city (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i was i was i think that was the biggest surprise when you know watching that i don't think that that was much of a concern when i watched back in theaters Uh, but now i was like how is this gonna turn out at the end because i could see where the movie was aiming and i'm like you know what hugh grant's life is pretty awesome so you're gonna have to work really hard to convince me that he didn't need to just stay this way Uh, and yeah they they, they did a good job now uh tony collette alex we we love her here on the show. Uh, oh yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, she has her moments of levity in this movie, but for the most part, she has some pretty heavy scenes. Did it take you out of the movie? Uh, it was kind of jarring the 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 reveal scene when they come home and find her. But then from there, I kind of understood tonally what the movie was going for. Um, so at first, it was like, wait, wait, what? But. I really meant I didn't the scene in the restaurant where she confronts him I thought was kind of cringe um but like her acting in the the first scene they go on where like you know uh, Marcus thinks it's a date is really good and then I mean the acting's good it's just it's kind of hard to get a grasp on it's hard to stay held on cuz then it cuts to her like you know crying and having an episode and whatnot and then you know pretty soon after that Hugh Grant's just like, oh, look at me. I'm such an oaf. Um, (laughs) But she's such a strong actor that it doesn't come across as like silly or like wild or like, you know, in the wrong hands that those stark transitions and, you know, really brick wall type stops in the action of the movie in the wrong hand, someone would be like, what the fuck? They're trying to, they're trying to do too much here. This is like, you know, it's like Vincent Gallo shit. What are they, what's the, what's the purpose here? (laughs) And she's so good that it jolts you, but you don't fall off the ride. It's hard to hold on. Like I said, in some parts, but you never fall off specifically her at the end where will comes and talks to her at her meeting and it is funny. She's like, you know, I'm not attracted to you, right? And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> it is weird how she realizes that she's been like a bad mom and it's just kind of a throwaway thing. And then he sings, so it's okay. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's not that she realizes that, but like, you know, I'm sure all parents, specifically single parents, go through moments like that. So I think who, that that's who am why I to judge your comment. <laughs> well, I think that's why she offers the McDonald's at the end. I forgot about the the McDonald's, yeah. She's like, he's doing what makes him happy. And then Hugh Grant goes, no, he's doing what makes you happy. And I I completely forget. You're right. It's kind of like a throwaway moment because we we go into the big (laughs) set piece of of the kids singing. But then when it comes back at the end, it's like, oh, that's right. She knows he wants to eat McDonald's. (laughs) The only reason he doesn't do it is for her. Uh, 
I actually, I think that the best moment is uh, when she very casually calls Hugh Grant out. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, that's this is just exactly the way that that men think. You just have to fix it. You know, oh, you're mm-hmm. depressed. Okay, well, let's get that fixed. <laughs> and uh, yes, I I know, like probably not all men, but I, I mean, as a man, I can tell you that's that's always. I, I am conscious of how I, I generally approach situations that way. And then yeah. uh, it's specifically, you know, my relationship with Kelly is just one of the things where you learn how that's not always the right approach or that's not, you know, it, it, or, and you can see like the different perspective. And I, I, is it because, you know, I'm a man or and she's a woman? I want to say probably, you know, but worse, if there's a, a situation, I just kind of have to figure out what the way is to getting it fixed and then I can move on to the next thing. Whereas, you know, it's like what, what Tony Collette is saying, you know, she's like, this is just, I mean, this is a problem and it's an ongoing situation and it's, we're not, there's no point in rushing to try to figure out how to get it fixed now because it can't be fixed right now. It just needs to, we just need to acknowledge that it's a situation and then move on and, you know, go on with our lives. So I really like that because it's not even a big moment. It's just, <laughs> she calls it out and then Hugh Grant says like, yeah, you're right. And then they get in the car. <laughs> but that gave her character, because she's never, even though she's obviously having the roughest time out of everybody in the movie, I don't think that she's ever portrayed. Uh, definitely, Teddy Collette doesn't play her as this just miserable victim. You know, she she has her low points, and then she seems to bounce back and, and you know, try to keep moving forward for the sake of her kids. So I, I really like her. She's so good, man. I... I know we say this every time we see her in a movie, <laughs> but Tony Collette is just fantastic no matter where you put her. I think I joked about it in the first half of it. it's like minimalized by her saying, I feel fine today, but that's that's really how depression works, man. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's an accurate representation. She feels fine today, but who knows what tomorrow is going to bring, that type of thing. Um, Rachel Weiss, as in everything she's done in life, is perfect. <laughs> man sadly the she, she's in the, um, the southwest flight in the first row where the wall's right there with the magazine holders that's how much leg room she has in this movie that's <laughs> you know tony collette has a small part but she got in the uh the exit aisle so mm-hmm. she's got a lot of leg room to like stretch her legs and whatnot rachel weiss just shows up and they're like all right you're beautiful here's 10 lines just make them count. <laughs> make them count. I mean, she does. The, oh, the way yeah. that she that she judges uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant uh, both times. Dude, this is probably the most relatable moment in the movie, uh, at least for someone like me. Which is when that when he first meets her and he has his voiceover saying that oh you know and I have a crush too and whatever and then he's telling her about how he does nothing and his voiceover is talking about how. At that moment, he realized that he was not interesting, and he really wished he was interesting because he wanted her to like him. Yeah. It was torture. For five minutes, I realized what life would be like if I were in any way interesting, if I had anything to say for myself, if I did anything. But I didn't do anything. And in about 30 seconds, she'd know, and she'd be gone like a shot. So what do you do? Yes, not to that specific level, but 
that's a feeling that I think a lot of people have. You know, you like you like someone, and then you you strike a conversation, and then the conversation doesn't go the way you want. That you realize that you're coming across as very uninteresting. Uh, and, and yeah, you can see it, you know, in her face, she kind of starts losing interest and she turns around and then he comes up with the lie about having a kid. She was coming off uh, Mummy Returns. So she was on that mummy money. So I want to believe like her role was a lot bigger, but the, you know, Universal told him they hit the salary cap. So they're like, all right, you can only have her for 10 minutes in the movie. <laughs> she but worked for scale. It's Yes. It's one of the things that makes it memorable because she is a tremendous bona fide A-lister and she shows up in this movie that's full of other A-listers and is a pivotal character, but, you know, has a very small part in it. It's, um, you know, I always like to use that little bit of rattlesnake venom will get you. And that's in this case, you know, what works for her. But yeah, I know, I know what you're saying too. Of It's been a while since I've been out at some place like that and talk to somebody like that of, you wanting to present yourself as like interesting and uh, that person's like smarter than you and exactly the emotions that he's going through in his head. Just like you said a moment ago, it's a very relatable scene. I was worried though, that he at the, cause they're at a new year's party. He was going to go up and try to kiss her and it was going to, you know, she was going to turn away and it was going to be, <laughs> you know, come back to reality or really awkward moment for Mr. Grant. But we got out unscathed. They even, get away with not really fuck this is how little she's in the movie but how much it counts because she's 100% part of his happy ending but we don't see that big moment where she forgives him or where they make up you know all she needs to do is uh she has the two moments one when uh she sees him again when he's walking towards Nicholas Holt at the performance and he's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. And you know, she's, that's my kid. And then he's like, oh, he's talented or something. He, uh, and she has a look as in like, this guy, I can't figure him out. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she has the close up when he's playing the guitar and, and she's smiling. And then you just know, that's it. That's all you needed. You know, that's obviously a combination of the filmmaking, the, the, the writing, and the, but also her performance. You can buy in her face. It's like, she's back in. You know what? Good. And the movie made today, they would add a fucking half hour to the movie to explain this shit. And that's, dude, that's the way life works sometimes. You don't really remember what got you to this situation, but you're in this happy situation now. You don't need to recount every fucking thing that happens, every leaf that turns over, every discussion or argument, especially for something like this, because it's not that kind of movie. It's just not. It's a movie that exists to have voiceovers that explain huge amounts of exposition, and that is perfectly fine. <laughs> begging someone to make a movie like this again even though i'm I'm at the end of this i'm gonna be like it's a c but it's the type of movie i watch and i'm like dude give me more of this you need more c's in your world yes i do i you know what i'd be a lot more um open to going to see some c's these days and i don't mean the sense of ant-man double vision or whatever the new one's called uh brad pitt comes up when discussing this movie brad pitt turned down the lead role of will freeman on the grounds that it was implausible that someone so attractive would need to pretend to be a single father to meet women he nevertheless appears in the film sort of he's on the cover of an issue of esquire that will is reading in his flat i think i saw that i remember seeing that uh so wait pitt was saying people wouldn't buy 
that because I'm Brad Pitt and I'm so hot, I, they wouldn't buy that I would have trouble hooking up with women because he's, he's kind of missing the point. It's not that Hugh Grant was having trouble hooking up with women. It's he's that just he a re- dirtbag. Right, but also that he was specifically decided to target single moms because of the the advantages of dating a single mom. Yeah, and there there are advantages. Okay, so Brad Pitt didn't get it. I've, I've lost a little bit of respect for him. Oh, shut up. <laughs> uh, in the novel, Will introduces Marcus to Nirvana, and he bonds with Ellie over them. The book is set in 93-94, and the story climaxes with the kids learning about and being affected by lead singer Kurt Cobain's suicide. The title of the story is an allusion to the Nirvana song about a girl. It's pretty baller. Hmm. It's a great song, too. It's, uh, that opens their Unplugged album. And it was on Bleach. It's one of the first three tracks on Bleach, because uh, when I was a kid, Bleach was the only Nirvana album. I, I could say Bleach a few more times in 30 seconds, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the only Nirvana album I owned. And that was like from 89, I think. That was even before Dave Grohl was their drummer. But great song. And I was obviously too young. Uh, I was, what was I, five, six? It was 94, I would have been seven. When Kurt Cobain killed himself, I don't even remember the news about it. I remember like the news of like Biggie and Tupac, but I don't remember the news about Kurt Cobain. I was too young, but... There was obviously an entire generation of preteens, teens, and you know adolescents that were tremendously affected by that. So I think that's an interesting spin to have in the story. Could you have used that in this movie? No, I mean, I could have. It would have nowhere near the broad appeal to just all audiences, all white audiences that this movie does. Something like that really rings in your uh, target market. But also, I'm assuming that it replaces, that, that instead of Nirvana, they just went with, uh, what's the name of the rap group? That, uh, the Fugees? No, no, no. no. <laughs> the the CD that, that he gives them. Killing me softly. Remember the Fugees sang that? So don't act like I'm stupid. Um, I know, but, but I'm talking about the, the rap group uh, that uh, he's like, shake your ass and all that. Uh, and also to make sure I don't sound like an uh, ignorant oaf, the Fuji's I can't I don't know if you'd consider it sampled or covered or what they did, but Lori Lieberman from 1973 was the original performer of "Killing Him Softly," uh, "Killing Me Softly." Excuse me. Um, your question was mystical. Mystical. Okay. Yes. So I think I'm assuming that mystical replaced Nirvana in the story, and. I think that it's a lot funnier to have Nicholas Holt singing, you know, rapping than it is to have him singing, I don't know, about a girl or <laughs> all apologies or <laughs> whatever. He, you know, he would be I think it I don't know, but for the tone of this movie, I think it it works a lot better if he bonds oh, yeah, with Ellie yeah. over that. He's just like stalking behind her, just screaming negative creep. She's like, <laughs> Are you taking the piss? <laughs> I like that. That, that that's uh, I mean, someday I'll read the book. I've I've never read a Nick Hornby book, but I've liked at least two of the movies based on his books, and it always sounds like it's worth checking out the the source material. What was the other one? Uh, if you already said it, I apologize. I uh, know the High Fidelity. Oh duh, that's um, that's a give me. That's a fucking day one right there. <laughs> so 
Julio, as we come to a close here, any guesses as to what was in theaters, more specifically what came out the week of About a Boy? Um, kind of, because a lot of the quotes uh, alluded to a big blockbuster, and then there were a couple that alluded to lightsabers. So, You guessed it, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> was it Return of the Sith? Uh, Revenge of the Sith and Revenge no. of the Sith. No? Attack of Revenge the Clones? Of, yes, Attack of the Clones. Revenge of the Sith was 2004. Um, but also in theaters from the beginning of May, May 3rd, that's when Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man came out. So about a boy went up against some fucking juggernauts as Star Wars took the number one spot that weekend, but uh, Spider-Man held at number two. And then a movie called Unfaithful. Was Richard Gere three? and Diane Lane. My God. How's that? <laughs> I haven't even seen it, but I remember the trailer. It's just so smutty. Uh, I think she's cheating on him with some dude. And uh, the sex scenes are supposed to be pretty steamy. Well, why not? Get it, Diane Lane. <laughs> All right. So we had Star Wars. We had Marvel. We had the the smut steamy romance the erotic thriller unfaithful and then about a boy at number four uh it's opening weekend and then at number five julio you i don't know if you would ever guess this but let's just take a shot all right it's 2002 you know we got a comedy here in the top five it's a comedy for the teens and think of the time frame and think of actors who were like would have been hot at that point in time and then just never really did anything again <laughs> god is it the new guy Oh my God! <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God bless. <laughs> I love it. That's impressive. That that not not my guess, but that it was number five. DJ Qualls, man, party was never going to end. <laughs> That's about it. Let's get off quick. Get off. Well, we're not going to top that. That was the perfect way to go out. That was fin phenomenal. So I guess it's time to move into ratings for this. I joked about it earlier, but yeah, I'll give this a C. Uh, my letterbox review is two and a half stars. What it's going for, um, I appreciate. It's just it's not something that necessarily lands with me. There's some good acting. There's some elements of this that uh, we flushed out more in real time here that I'm appreciative of. And I would never be opposed to watching this again or anything like that. This is a perfectly fine rainy day. You're cleaning the house, moving on in the background, that type of thing. So see from me, Julio, I saw your letterbox review. I'm not sure if this was a dated one or if it was from this most recent watch, but um, it sounds like you, you're you're in with this. You're on board with I, this I movie. In. I mean, that, those, uh, that, that rating was from just my memory because I remember really liking it. I, I told you, I went and bought the movie. I'm happy to report it holds up. I, I am giving it the full Monty. It's five stars for me. This movie just, dude, I was laughing out loud as I was watching it downstairs. Uh, I had such a good time. It just uh, it just works on every level. I think it might be getting a little boost just from the Rachel Wise factor, but... As uh, it should. Yeah, and... But overall, it's just, it's just funny, and I really like where it lands at the end. I, I can't believe they they got me to buy their bullshit. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. We're all islands connected together. That's definitely the, the, the best way to live according to the movie. And I, I think I can, I can roll with that. So yeah, that 
big movie. I ended up buying it. How, how do you how do you watch it? I I bought it on Prime. I I rolled the dice. I was like, I'm pretty sure that I'm gonna like it as much as I did the first time. So I'm just gonna go ahead and buy it since I don't own it. I rented on YouTube. Good transfer. Yeah, this was this was good, and now it's there for my perusal whenever whenever I feel. Dude, that that scene when he comes out with the with the guitar, it's it's pretty awesome. Yes, it's predictable, but it's just so satisfying. Uh, you know, those movies, it's manipulation, but it's perfectly staged manipulation. You know it's going to be horrible when the kid goes up on stage. And then it's just so satisfying when Hugh Grant just stops being a selfish bastard and just comes out with the guitar. And it's so good that he doesn't even, it's not that he's a great singer. I mean, I mentioned it in Concerns Corner, but, you know, he's just singing like a dude. Yeah, it's the end of Elf. It's like, this is really silly and predictable when they all start singing together, but it's like, fuck it. It's a movie. It's fun. I'm enjoying this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, five stars for me. Two and a half. Dude, your your ratings this, uh, this past, probably since the beginning of the year, I just, I can't like anticipate them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> your rating just to throw me curveballs at this point. Uh, yeah, I definitely... I guess that was my New Year's resolution. <laughs> Be more dramatic and unpredictable with movie ratings. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying well, to see good job. Like, what I've watched the year so far. The like first time viewings, I think Garthi is the highest rated movie I've watched this year for a first time viewing. So there you go. All right. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for throwing this on our desk. We we hope we did justice to it. If you're a big Nicholas Holt fan, I, I apologize. But, um, you know, I, I was kind of I mentioned this with the mutations last uh, episode as well. I was kind of worried just there's not an abundance of subtext or anything like that in the, the screenplay for this movie. It's not like we could dig endlessly to find possible motives and meanings and character actions. So I always get kind of nervous of what kind of conversation we'll get out of it. But I'm, I felt this went pretty well. And I hope you enjoy it. That's what matters. Julio, we continue the patron invasion. What is up next? So up next is kind of a, a side invasion. This is not necessarily a patron invasion. It's more like a, a, a side podcast invasion. Somebody that's related to one of our patrons will guest on our show as we discuss the movie Waitress. And, and we'll be joined by Rachel, who has the... Uh, privilege slash curse of being married to our friend Ryan from Spit and Polish. <laughs> she also has her own podcast with him, uh, which is a yum yum pod where they talk about Babylon 5 and Star Trek Discovery and so on. So Rachel will be joining us to talk about a movie starring Carrie Russell, our first Carrie Russell vehicle in The Contrarians. I'm excited. Excellent. Well, Carrie Russell, uh, Nathan Fillion, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, pie and i'm a fatty so <laughs> can talk about pie all day long all right julio well that was about a boy waitress on deck time to get on out of here we'll move into our perennial plugs we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks they kick us off with last stand take us home with summer of 99 be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs our friend and fellow podcaster hans rothieser is the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our Patreon page, our merch page, our web page, that little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, that's Hans's creation. Uh, you can check out the rest of his work on his own web page, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. That has information about his books, the novels he's written, zombie novels, 
fantasy novels, and uh, also information about his podcast. He has two, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Shoot him a line at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Contact him on Twitter, at mildemonios. Let him know how much you like his art, how much you like his shows, uh, and tell him that the contrarian sent you. So, Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com. Joe and the boys over there. I was on their show last night discussing the career of the big show, Paul White, a wrestler, Julio, who's been smart enough to stay consistent with acting roles, even if it's just like stunt work or like, you know, a 30 second cameo in something so that he can keep up with SAG insurance because, of course, the professional wrestling industry is not offering any of that shit. So that's how you do it. Uh, smart man and uh, went went in depth with that so you can head over to latenightgrin.com check that out um, I think me and Joe made sure to shoehorn in at least a few movie references somewhere <laughs> along the way <laughs> and as always thank you to the support of our social media guru Ms. Zoe Perez we mentioned also uh, Corey Ari he's been helping out with our YouTube videos Corey keep up the good work there really like that that something Hulu and I the, the YouTube game is unfamiliar to us so the, the help we can get in making shit uh, pretty for the YouTubers out there. I love it. But uh, Zoe, as always, helps curate our social media game, facebook.com slash contrarian prime, uh, Instagram at contrarian prime, youtube.com slash at contrarian prime. You can find us there. Zoe uh, continues to make our social media post look a lot prettier than uh, if I was at least left to myself. What I would do, I'd just make something fucking MS Paint. So here you go, Julio, post this. So. <laughs> but as always, Zoe. And uh, recently, Corey, we really do appreciate the effort you give us in helping our social media uh, appearance and presence look clean. And we appreciate you, our listening audience, most of all, uh, for tuning in to another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>